Hey, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. You know, it's about September and I realized that at the beginning of the year, I made a resolution to go out and take more photographs of people, especially people I don't know. And I haven't done it. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I agreed. It was a really good idea. Wait, you said September? It's not, it can't be that late in the year already. Yeah, it's the last day of August as we record this. So okay. wake up. It's time to do some of the stuff we said we do. So what we need is we need somebody to kick us in the pants, get us motivated, get us fired up before the rains come to get out and take some photos of people, do some street photography. Who do you think would be good for that? Well, gosh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many, so many things to choose from. I mean, I can't think of one person. Mm. I can't. You can't? <laughs> you can't. No, I can't. I can think of one person. When someone says street photography, this is the person I think of. All right. Go ahead. Okay. You, uh, we'll say it on three. Okay? Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Valerie, Valerie Chardin. Okay, good. We were thinking of the same thing. Oh, good. You, know, you and I are in sync. Luckily, Valerie's right here. With just a push of a button, we bring up Valerie Jardin. What an amazing Bonjour. coincidence. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Hello, Valerie. Welcome to Photo Combobulate. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you for having me. And I, I heard you say that you wanted to do street photography before the rain, but the rain is one of the best times to, to be on the street. So <laughs> that there, is, that there is already, true. we're off to a, a, a shaky start, but we'll try to correct that. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, but whip me into shape, I can tell. But it's cold and uncomfortable, and those seem like the, the usual reasons for not getting out and shooting. Mason lives in Portland. I'm up in Seattle. So the rain doesn't really phase us, but it's just like Mason said, that kick in the pants, like, oh, I, I should go, but my house is really comfortable. I've got a lot of work to do, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we find ourselves in this position. Yeah. I think one of the things about street photography that I often forget is that no one's expecting me to do it, right? It's, it's oh. <laughs> no, these aren't our clients, right? They're waiting for us downtown to to show up and take <laughs> their photos. So if we don't show up, no one knows that we didn't show up. <laughs> and no one should know if you do show up either, uh, because you should try to remain invisible. But uh, but that's the beautiful part of it. This is the one genre of photography that is that you do. A hundred percent for you and you only. You have no one else to please but yourself. And I think that's that's amazing. Let's drill down a little bit on what you just said, Valerie. Mm -hmm. You should be invisible because I, I was, and I mentioned this, I think every episode years ago, long time ago, I was a photojournalist. And one of the things I really enjoyed was when I could sort of fade into the background and let people be themselves. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think that's a, a skill. It's a very important part of street photography. How do you develop that? Well, with with time, and um, I always tell my student the the fear of not getting the shot has to become greater than the fear of getting it. Mm. And I didn't come up with this. I heard this a long time ago. I have no idea who quoted this, but I think it's a wonderful thing because people are a little nervous at first to get really close. But and there are so many ways to do street. I don't I don't like street photography because I do most of it on the beach and not on the street or uh, even on frozen lakes. So as long as there are people in the shot, 
we call it street photography. I find that documentary photography or narrative photography are better terms for it. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of time people are nervous to get close, but you're never going to get the same feel if you hide behind a long lens. However, you can, you can do a more minimalist approach still with a short lens, but a little bit further away, that can be really, uh, really nice too. There are so many ways. You don't have to be in people's face. And that's really what mm -hmm. I want to, to stress for people who've never done street photography. There is often the misconception that you have to be Bruce Gilden style. And that's the last thing I would advise anyone to do because, well, first of all, it's not for everyone. Um, second, if you want to get punched, that's a good approach to take. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. That's just not me. I get super close to people. I mean, I shoot at 23 millimeter mm -hmm. and I often touch people uh, without them knowing just barely, you know, touches them as they walk by my either elbow to elbow or something. It's, it's happened. Or oh, I'm could be literally right over their shoulder, taking a picture of the side of their face as if I'm looking through their eyes. Uh, but I learned to, to do it quickly and, uh, really inconspicuously. That takes time. That takes practice. You don't develop that overnight, usually. Uh, it's the more you do it. But then also is um, when you see something that is so beautiful. I mean, life is beautiful. And capturing a moment of everyday life in the life of a stranger in all respect possible. And that I can't stress enough because if you look through my photographs, I, I really respect my subject. I don't photograph people in vulnerable situation or moments of crisis or moments of ridicule. Um, it's all about respecting a beautiful moment of everyday life. Mm. When you see the moment and I mean, first of all, seeing the moment is more than most people. So seeing the moment and being able to capture that moment in that fraction of a second, the moment that's never happened before and will never happen again, that no one can replicate. You can't say that about a lot of diff a lot of genres of photography, you know, especially when you have, you know, 20 people sit standing in a row with a tripod looking at the same vista, <laughs> you know, it's the opposite of street photography. And so um, I think, I think the challenge is so great and the merit is there when you capture it that it's the best feeling ever. But if you see the moment and you don't capture it, you should still feel really good about seeing the moment. And mm -hmm. I hear my students on workshops say that all the time. Oh, I saw something. I saw this amazing kiss or whatever it is, but I didn't, I didn't catch it. And I didn't, I said, well, no, you saw it. That's more than, that's more than most people. You didn't capture mm -hmm. it with your camera. That's one thing, but you already learned something and seeing is, is where people get stuck. Yeah. Usually capturing it is the <clears throat> next step, but you have to learn to see. It sounds like this is as much a, a, a mind game as a taking pictures game. That's kind of a crude way of saying it, but because when I think of street photography as someone who's not done a lot of it, uh, I think anxiety. I think, you know, what if I miss this shot? What if I, you know, have someone who comes back at me because I took their picture? And I think some of that is because we hear about situations of this photographer got beaten up or had his gear stolen or just that sort of friction just between people. That seems to be a big barrier and what I'm hearing from you is when you approach it 
as more of a I am here to find experiences and enjoy experiences. And if I make a picture of it, all the better. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily like, oh, my gosh, I I have to get home with, you know, 10 really good street shots today or something like that. Yeah, that's never happening. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're right. It it has to be about the experience. Um, you cannot stress over not getting the shot or you're going to be miserable. And why mm. do that if you're miserable? So it's really about uh, more about the experience than getting the shot. If you get the shot, of course, that's amazing. And it's not going to happen every day uh, that you get the shot. But you'll you'll have a lot of uh, decent pictures in a day. But if you have the one shot that just that pure emotion and then when you look at it it brings you right back mm. to that moment i mean that's pretty special but just being out there and being privileged to to experience life on the street in paris new york copenhagen or anywhere else is amazing and to me that comes first and once you you're happy with that you'll be a much happier street photographer because First of all, you'll be less nervous, less stressed, and you'll probably be more likely to get good shots because you'll be more relaxed. It's really about being relaxed and believing that what you're doing is important, not illegal. <laughs> A lot of people are nervous. Oh, is it legal? Should I do this, this, and yeah. that? When, um, if you do it right and respectfully, you, you're capturing a moment that will have value in the future. We learn so much from street photographs. I mean, look at what we've learned from the masters or even more recently from Vivian Meyer's work that was discovered that we may have never seen. Yeah. And then we have thousands of pictures that just resurfaced of a time that she she photographed on the streets of Chicago and around the world uh, when she was a nanny. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, not sure I agree with, Everything that's being done with her work, but that's for another, uh, that's for another show. Uh, would she want all those pictures to be published and seen? Maybe not, you know, but she never had to say so. But, uh, we learn a lot from her work. Um, in the, the, the fashion of the day, the day, the, the cars that were driven in those times, the, you know, there's so much to learn from those moments. So you have to look at the, you have to look at the value of the work you do. That's why it's so important to do it right so that mm-hmm. everyone gets a chance to practice this wonderful uh, type of photography without more privacy laws popping up all over the place because a few are doing it in a disrespectful way and are giving everybody else a bad rap. I mean, it's sad, but that's what's happening. So. Yeah. 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 When I teach street photography, um, I teach a couple of online classes on travel photography. And so Mm -hmm. I always include a street photography lesson in there. And I tell my students that when you're taking a photograph of a stranger, you're trading, they're giving you their likeness in in exchange for your respect. Mm -hmm. And that's the transaction that's happening. And if it's, if you're not giving them respect, then you're stealing. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And, and, and there will be time where people will, react you know they'll notice you and they'll react but hey as long as you know in your heart you're not doing anything wrong then you know stay calm show them what you're doing explain to them what you're doing it's more people are curious they don't know what it is right so if you explain what you're doing but even i see um uh 
on, on workshops that I lead around the world sometime, you know, you don't speak the language, but it's really easy, you know, to, to explain what you're doing with social media. And, and I think people have an idea of what street photography is. And if they, and you show them what you just captured in the back of your camera, it, once they see the way the light was, hitting their white dress or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, they'll be like super flattered and, and mm-hmm. happy you caught that moment. And when the rare times when that happens, that someone actually notices me photographing them after the fact, because the moment always has to be candid. If they see me before I leave, they, they saw me, then uh, I'm more than happy to give them a card or exchange, give them my Instagram account and then I send them the picture. And I'm always thrilled when that happens. Sometimes it happens after the fact. People have seen themselves on on social media or in books, and they're so happy to have that picture of themselves mm-hmm. or of their elderly father that was at the Jardin du Luxembourg in Paris, uh, reading a book or pushing one of the little sailboats that happened that somebody actually contacted me because they saw a photograph of their father, like oh, they've man. never seen him before. And they were so happy mm-hmm. when I sent them the, the high res and they made a print for for him wow. so there there are a lot of exchanges that happen mm-hmm. along the way but but you're right most of the time you're invisible you capture a moment of of everyday life and then you move on but uh, but there are times where i wish i could i could have had an interaction and i mm-hmm. could share that photograph yeah yeah i always really enjoy the interactions mm-hmm. after the fact right and like you i'm i'm always hoping to catch them in a pure candid moment and a lot of times what the, the best experiences I've had when traveling and engaging with a stranger is because I took their photo yeah, or I, that's true. I, I take their photo and I sense that maybe they were a little uncomfortable. So I'm like, yeah, I don't want to leave this person feeling like yeah. I was creeping. So I, I'll say, Hey, you want to see what I just took? Yeah. Um, here's my card. If you will email me, I will send you this, a copy of this. It, they're always pleasant exchanges. Yep. And I always leave feeling like I made a connection to the place because I made a connection to absolutely a, a native. If you Abs- will, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there will be time where someone will get confrontational and that's okay. Just as long as you're not confrontational back, like some mm-hmm. street photographers will say, well, I have a, you're in the public place, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, this is not the time. I don't care where they are. If they're, if you're in your rights or not, they have the right to be upset if you photograph them. Public mm-hmm. place or not, it doesn't matter. Country doesn't matter. You should treat every subject uh, on the street the same way with respect. And they have the right to not want to be photographed. And mm-hmm. that is totally okay with me. Um, so it really, usually it's easy to calm a situation. And, um, but no picture is worth upsetting someone no mm-hmm. picture and would you even feel good showing that picture publishing that picture if you knew it was such a bad experience probably not so i always tell my students just you know a picture is not worth upsetting someone it's not going to be a good experience for anyone so yeah if ever someone asks you to delete a picture because they're upset just delete the picture because you're not going to mm-hmm. want to use it anyway so that's a good yeah point. Yeah, I often think that a smile gets you a long mm-hmm. way too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, the camera camera brings people, you know, puts people on the defense. The smile puts them back. That's you right. Know, into yeah. a neutral position. So. And I think I, with with smaller cameras, really up close, 
you know, a lot less creepy than with a big camera and a 300 millimeter zoom. Uh, oh, yeah. That that to me is wrong. <laughs> that is not the way you should do. That's just creepy. That's yeah. Creepy. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm really close. I'm at 23 millimeter all the time with my little camera. And uh, people are usually very curious about that camera, actually, because they think it's a they think it's a film camera and it's so retro looking. And so that sometime we have a conversation after the fact and I said, Oh, by the way, I got this really good shot of you. And so, yeah, so the interaction after the fact, but really the goal is to capture the moment candidly. I mean, that's really uh, besides respect, which is the rule and street photography, there are rules. Um, the candid moment is also a rule. If you stage your shot it is not street photography. It, it takes all the merit out of the equation, obviously. Anybody can ask somebody, oh, could you kiss and sit there? Yeah. Well, what satisfaction do you get? So, I, and there is a lot of that that's being done. And mm -hmm. I cringe when I see it happen. I cringe when I find out or I recognize the person. I'm like, okay, it's always the same girl in the, <laughs> in the silhouette. So, you know, it's the, it's probably the guy's girlfriend that's always walking in the perfect situation, always dressed in the perfect clothes for, you know, look very <laughs> elegant. It's like, okay, it's nice, but at least just say it. It's it's not candid. It's mm -hmm. it's like shooting a model. It's like a fashion shoot it's at a that point, shot. and it's yeah. totally fine. But mm -hmm. but don't call it street photography because that's mm -hmm. really uh, first. It's a disservice to people who are trying so hard to do it the right way. I'm like, I'll never get those shots. Well, no, no, you won't because those were <laughs> all staged. And uh, but the satisfaction of capturing the moment of uh, a beautiful moment of people kissing on the beach or something, and capturing in that fraction of a second, and without them see noticing you versus capturing it if you ask them to do it there's no comparison anyways for yourself nobody knows nobody needs to know but you know yourself and that's really what matters is how you feel about it and it's all part of uh, of the ethics really of the job yeah well jeff and i spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about kind of personal satisfaction in in the experience of photography mm -hmm. over the product of photography and I think that falls right in line with what you're saying. Really, when I take photos on the street, I really do want to be invisible, like we mentioned. Um, but there are times where I've made what I would call a street portrait. Yep. And this is oftentimes I'll have a photograph of someone. I have that engagement with them where I'm talking with them. And then, I, then I'll say... Just, just as another experience, can I take your portrait now? You know, can I, because I, I, I like that eye contact and I've had a really good time with that, but I've, I've, I don't know if I've ever asked anybody to do anything in those photos other than look at me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, street portraits, a lot of, a lot of street photographers will say, no, they don't count because you have an interaction. I said, well, it's sometime it's a good way to get used to, to, getting close to strangers and um so they do count because that's what that's what they are they're street portraits or environmental mm -hmm. portraits somebody working uh doing i don't know making things and with leather at a art fair or whatever right. it could be it's uh it's candid in the way the fact that you don't know the person and you're not asking them to do something but obviously they know you they're being photographed so then that falls into the portrait category uh but you're right yeah i would never ask someone to could you put your chin like this or do like this i i hated having a portrait studio so i would definitely not do it for fun on the streets <laughs> <laughs> i feel like especially with social media and, and we'll single out instagram here because it's traditionally been the, the spot where this happens mm -hmm. 
there's just a, a lot of disingenuous photography and it's, it, it, it's easy to spot. Like you said, it's mm-hmm. just too perfect or it's that same person in every location. I feel like honesty in photography has this organic ethos to it that is, that comes through the, yeah. in the, in the photography, whether it's a landscape photo or a street photo, or even a portrait, there's that honesty in that organic nature there. Give, give us some practical tips on finding that moment to, to get that honesty to come through in the photo. Well, first of all, you can't expect perfection. Life on the street is not perfect. You can have to compromise. It's pretty rare that all the elements come together, the light, the background, the perfect subject, the perfect gesture. It will happen. And those are the handful of photographs in your career that you will, you know, look back and say, yeah, that felt pretty good. Uh, those are the pictures that are going to be on your wall, probably. But that happens rarely. We all have a different aesthetic, too, of what makes a good subject. I have a pretty clean way of shooting. I don't like crowds. So I don't photograph busy scenes. It's always very minimalist. That's the way I see. That's the way that's my aesthetic. A lot of people like a lot of layers and, and this. I don't like that when I can't see what the subject is right away. Then it bothers me, but layers uh, are very challenging. They don't always work. You have to shoot a lot to, to get some that really work that are really pleasing to the eye. So I'm not busy, a busy uh, photographer. I like clean. I like clean lines, but I don't remove things. I think to be a really honest photographer, I mean, you have to treat it like photojournalism and, and then go from there. Yes, you could remove things, but you know what? Maybe you should have thought of that before you press the shutter and just step two, two steps closer. And that garbage can would not have been in your frame. That's how I work. First of all, mm-hmm. I suck at editing and <laughs> if I had to remove power lines and things, I, it would be terrible. And then, um, I did it recently on a picture that I shot because it was either that I was going to trash it and it was, I really liked the shot. And there was a little bit of a, a street sign coming out of the, the woman's head. And I said, oh, I got to try to do this. And I'm like, Oh mm. my gosh, good thing I don't do this ever because <laughs> it's, it's, it's done so badly. But so it's, I always go with, the with the sense that I don't have post-processing at all mm. available. I can't crop after the fact. I can't do it. Pretty much like if I was shooting film and sending my film to the lab without being able to control anything. That's how I shoot. I shoot JPEG without... I don't need a safety net. I can... I love the... I love shooting JPEG. I love making decisions in camera. Uh, I love choosing if it's going to be black and white or color before I press the shutter. Those are all part of the creative process. Everything you do in post-processing is not photography, period. You're not learning to be a better photographer by doing post-processing. Everything you do before you press the shutter will teach you to be a better photographer. So I always encourage my my workshop participants or even people I, I, I um, teach online to really go with that frame of mind. I don't ask anyone to shoot JPEG. I don't care. They can use their phone. They can shoot raw plus JPEG, raw only. I don't care. But they (laughs) should always think before they press the shutter, first of all, is this a black and white or is it a color? Because very rarely will it be just as strong uh, in in color as it is in black and white. So Mm. make that decision. Why is it a color? Maybe the story is all about color. Then of course it's going to be a color shot, but all those decisions should be made before you press the shutter. Even if you can, 
even if you have the safety net and you can make changes. Ari's Pretend that you don't have a cropping tool. Yes, it's wonderful and it's nice to be able to tweak or or adjust your or your verticals and things like that, or your horizontal line or whatever, or crops slightly tighter because you couldn't get any closer. But you should always be out in the field thinking, I need to get this in camera. I don't spend five mm-hmm. seconds on any picture. And um, and I've trained myself. That's the way it's going to be. If it takes too much work, I don't even look at the picture. I trash it. I I like I I don't like to be in post processing. I like to be out with my camera. So, uh, but there are people, and it's totally legitimate. There are people who love spending hours in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. They're usually not street photographers. Uh, I think street photographers are a bit of a different breed. Uh, we would never change a sky or anything like that. I mean, it, it is. It's everyday life. If you start changing things, you're never going to have the feel you had when you were there at the moment, at that moment. So um, I'm very purist as far as doing edits. Um, I don't, I really treat it like photojournalism, basically. So not everybody does, and there is no right or wrong way to do it. But as a, as a creative, I think it's important to know what is going to make you a better photographer and it's really by making decisions before you press the shutter uh everything you do after fine if you have fun doing that and changing things it's up to you but um it's not going to teach you a whole lot in the field sure you'll get a lot of uh hate mail from that (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't think anyone's surprised to hear you say that i mean if they know you at all they know that that's that's one of your your things and i i definitely respect that i I feel like when I'm out making straight photos that I do try to get it right in camera, but I will shoot it in raw so I can play with the tones mm-hmm. a little bit. I, I do like to, to convert from color to black and white and not shoot in black and white. But I'm also a Sony shooter. You and Jeff are Fuji shooters, and you have those beautiful JPEG mm-hmm. presets that are so much fun You know, to shoot in Acros or even in um, a format like the Chrome and yeah. have that just deliciousness that is baked into that file. That's a wonderful thing. But I want to step back a little bit and kind of dig in a little bit on this, on the capture moment, you know, this decisive moment in street photography. If you're, we're trying to be invisible with our cameras and we're dealing with people who may or may not be comfortable with us being around them with the camera, what are some tricks, tactics that you use to capture the moment without people being aware of the fact that you're capturing them. Well, first, you don't bring the camera to your eye, obviously. Uh, You really, you know, use live view for for several reasons. I think if you shoot everything at eye level, it becomes really monotonous in a body Mm -hmm. of work. Uh, I think it's nice to have more dynamic uh, point of views. And so if you use live view, you're much more likely to shoot from a low angle or or higher up. So you're going to get you're going to get more interesting shots. I mean, there are many ways, and I always, it's easier to demonstrate them. And on workshop, I usually give those demos to show my students how you can really, really get close to people um, by having your camera at hip level or a little higher and pretending you're looking at your phone because nobody pays attention to someone mm. who's texting. And that way, they don't even notice the camera. 
but you're ready to shoot and you get closer and closer and closer uh, that way. So uh, those are kind of fun demos that I do uh, during workshops. And you always know when somebody has been on my workshop because you you start seeing them do those techniques uh, <laughs> to get close. Um, and, you know, there are some pretty standard ways where if you're photographing someone who is sitting on a on a park bench, for example, but just pretend you're photographing whatever's above them or behind them. And it's when you it looks like you're actually reviewing your pictures that you're taking their picture at that moment. Uh, they usually ignore you by then. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the important thing is to not disrupt what caught your eye in the first place. If they notice you and they stop doing what caught your eye, then there is nothing there anymore. So you might as well move on. So mm-hmm. it's really about that's why it's so important to be inconspicuous, because you're catching a moment that is pure and untouched and you don't want to change it if Mm -hmm. you change it you killed it so then you might as well move on and not even try and i don't like to drop quotes because it makes me sound snooty but the henry cartier brisson quote about throwing a rock into a pond and you disrupt the water and scare off the fish and you have to sit and wait for them to come back Mm -hmm. um i love tricks whenever i teach a class and i talk about some of these tricks that you've mentioned you know shooting at waist level even using your phone as a remote yeah, I don't do that, but um, yeah. that can be that can be more comfortable in certain ways when people yeah. put their their camera high or low or something, and then they use their phone. Yes, I, I've seen some of my workshop participants use that. Yeah, yeah, like there's all these great tricks, and a lot of times my students will push back and be like, "Well, that's just creepy," <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, but you want the person to be acting." natural because even yeah. people who are willing to have their photos taken the moment they're aware of the fact that their photos are being taken they, they change. change their behavior mm-hmm. right? you have to wait they a bit that i think it. you have yeah. to let the person kind of go back to the to what they were doing before in before you you interacted with them and then they become a little more um natural mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah when i was a photojournalist i remember saying to people just pretend i'm not here you know, just <laughs> just ignore me yeah. Because they'd be like, well, what do you want us to do? I'm like, I want you to pretend I'm not here. <laughs> I want yeah. you to forget that I'm working and just do your thing. But you can so. actually practice that in a in an environment that's, for example, I work a lot on series. One of them is the artist in the space where I meet with an artist and then could be a painter or a musician. I did musicians uh, at play, also different series. But I used all my street photography techniques where I was actually in their space photographing them, like um, painting or playing um, sometimes was a, a jazz trio. And I was mm-hmm. just, they were at practice. So I was like a fly on the wall getting shot, never moved anything, never posed anything. I just really, for street photography is a dance. And mm. I was ex- applying exactly those same techniques. Sometimes, um, like I'm thinking of this jazz trio that invited me into their rehearsal space. And I didn't even know if I should go down that creepy basement that <laughs> seriously. And I worked everything in ambient light and with a pretty wide lens, but, um, they had seriously a, a window that was the, the size of your hand. That's all I had for available light and then some spot, you know, like spotlight and then i couldn't the space was so small it was so awkward to just go around them and get get some shots but that's with those challenges that you learn and everything you learn during those exercises and i love working on projects like that especially i live in a state where we have 
six months of snow. And so in the, in the winter, when I'm not traveling to warmer places for workshops, then I'm here and I, I make the best out of the, of, of winter. So I work on projects like that. And, but they teach me so much how mm. to, you know, I practice my street techniques in, a controlled environment and the fact that the people know I'm here, but I apply the same techniques and I work on those series and, and those are really, really fun. So I really encourage people to, to, to do that or just find, yeah, a local artist and say, Hey, can I come some afternoon? I'll be there for 30 minutes while you're doing your thing. And I'm just going to photograph you working and then just do mm -hmm. those techniques, but tell them, you know, just don't even talk to me, just do your thing. And then apply those techniques. It's good practice because obviously they're not going to punch you and they're not going <laughs> to run away. <laughs> so, but then you practice some really useful techniques. It could be at an art fair, you know, it could be outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's easier with better light, but uh, it's really practicing those techniques. And, and there's so many ways you can do that. You mentioned art fairs and things like that. And it seems to me that seems to be good fertile ground for practice mm -hmm. because you're already in a situation where people are expecting there to be tourists and photographers yep. and looky-loos. I mean, you know, he, here in Seattle, it's great to go down to Pike Place Market mm -hmm. because it is teeming with tourists and people who have cameras already. Now, I sometimes have a little trouble because I'm like, well, great. Then I have a whole lot of pictures of tourists, which isn't really necessarily what I want. But you also have – you know, musicians and you know, mm -hmm. like, like there's always something happening, but it, it seems like a a better practice environment than just you know going downtown uh, yeah, where absolutely. you don't. Yeah, and always when you're in a crowd, you're more invisible too. But and you're right, even practicing on the street performers, which I mean they're strangers. So for introverts, it's a good way to get mm -hmm. started. So they're their performers, give them a few bucks before you get started and then work it. And what you learn by doing those exercises will um, make you a better photographer because you're going to be able to work quicker at getting the strongest possible shot when you're in an, on the streets at, and capturing a candid moment that's going to be so fleeting. You, you're only going to have one shot in the way that you're going to position yourself to have the cleanest background so that you, you will move yourself slightly because, oh, you just noticed that there is something sticking out of their ear or something. So it becomes the way you see. So the more you do of those exercises, and that those are actually in my book. Uh, the more you do of those exercises, the the quicker you're going to be on the street at capturing that one special moment, that one special gesture um, that only going to last a fraction of a second. So these are all really, really good exercises. I really encourage people to do that. We do want to mention your book. <laughs> Can you hold it up? Yeah. Your one of my book books, I a, think it's book number yeah, 16. Just but got them this one around. is Street Photography Assignments, 75 Reasons to Hit the Streets and Learn. Um, published with our friends at Rocky Nook. I think I published it right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, it's been a really big seller <laughs> and it's been translated in Italian and German. And uh, people love it because they there's 75 reasons to get out because that we talked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. People said, oh, I don't know. I don't really want to get out. Well, pick an exercise, any of them, and then get out work on that technique. 
but it's more than 75 because you're going to do them over and over and over again. Or you're going to revisit them six months later and say, oh, yeah, I was trying that panning technique on bicyclists, but I got the technique down, but the bicyclist didn't look very good. So now let's try to find someone with long hair with no helmet, you know, and mm-hmm. and the right light instead of, you know, just someone with a, a big backpack and a helmet. So, you know, you can, you're going to... It's like stages, like building blocks. Sure. So I wrote it for that because I get, you know, I podcasted for eight years and that was one of the most common questions. Like, oh, I don't feel like going. What what, what can I do to make me go? So um, I wrote this book, but also working on, on different series. I always have projects. I'm working on one right now called Summer Vibes. And it's actually been really nice because it kind of slowed down my summer. So yeah. I take pictures. Uh, it's like a visual diary of my summer, basically. So I'm at summer vibes number 56 or something. Uh, I, it doesn't have to be one a day. It doesn't have to be of mm-hmm. the day. I, I don't like those restrictions. I think they're actually counterproductive, but it makes me happy because when I look at the series now and I'm putting in a gallery on my website, it's my summer. And, mm. and I'm going to be sad when it ends, but I have ongoing projects, visual narratives, things like that, that I will do a series for that just out of the blue, uh, because I meet someone on the beach who is, uh, skimboarding and I say, Hey, can I, can I photograph you, you for a minute? And so I do a whole series of them just practicing. And at the end, I usually do a portrait. So it's fun to have reasons to get out. Uh, I have a hand series and they're just hands of strangers from around mm. the world, but really close up hands. And I have hundreds of pictures of hands. So um, to get you out the door, once you're out, then ideally you should go out empty and just let the street surprise you. Uh, but if you need a reason to get out, then yes, pick a project, um, a series that you're going to be working on just to get out the door. Yeah. One of the things that I that I, I love about this idea that um, I think just sort of like blows right past me whenever I, I think of street photography is that that incrementalism of like do a little bit of this and do a little bit of that and you know it it, it builds up because I find myself just personally at the end of June and uh, beginning of July. Uh, I took a family vacation. We went to Paris and uh, Rome and Venice and uh, Florence. And so there were times when I was like, okay, this is this is a great opportunity for, for some street photography. Now I have to do a street photography. And it's like a big rush of, oh, geez, like this is my only opportunity here. I have a few hours. Uh, you know, what do I remember from, from what I've learned and do I need – and trying to just sort of – conjure all of that up in one big blob uh, was very frustrating for me rather than just having smaller expectations and being a more taking a more uh, incremental approach yeah and you're right it's like building blocks it becomes the way you see um to make a strong photograph there's going to be a lot of elements that are going to come into play. You're going to have one, not only a really good subject, the light is going to be, uh, you have to use the light. There is no bad light. Or we say there's no bad light, only bad photographers. You have to make whatever <laughs> light you're handed work, uh, and find the subject that are going to work with that light. So if you have harsh lights and then you have, um, you can, you can have beautiful silhouettes and, and a sunburst. And then you could have repeated patterns and, and the leading lines. All these elements will come into play to make a stronger photograph. 
stuff. But it, you don't have to think of them. I mean, if you had to think of all these before you press the shutter, you would never make a picture, right? Yeah, it it's just overload. becomes it just yeah, it just becomes the way you see, but it becomes the way you see by doing it and and look and looking at your pictures regularly and said, yeah, now look. Uh, I mean, if I look at the pictures I did 10 years ago, I'm horrified. I'm like, oh, I, I, that was terrible. Even five years ago, you always learn. You always learn to be better, to find more difficult situation. You see things you haven't seen. And then you put those those building blocks together and it becomes the way you see. And so, um, so you'll see a great progression. You should see a progression in your, in your work. The style will evolve slightly. Although people always tell me, I know when it's your work. Um, so I think you have your psycho fingerprint. I think that mm -hmm. there is something in the style, but it evolves with life experiences and technical expertise. I think the technical expertise, you reach that pretty quickly. That's the easy part of photography is the technical part, but your life experiences will change the way you see. I, for me, it changes every day. I'm a very sensitive person. So I, I react to, um, different things depending on my mood of the day. And so some days I'm very playful. Other days I'm going to be much more moody and I'm going to photograph things that are just a lot more, there's a lot more emotion. So, um, so, but the style will remain your fingerprint, but then it will evolve uh, according to your life your life, your experiences, your mood and so forth. So, um, so it's really about finding your, your own voice, not trying to emulate everybody else. And I think also that's one thing that's social media has been, um, a disservice to photographers is that they're trying to photograph for the likes mm -hmm. and you're never going to be happy if you do that. You have to photograph for yourself. I mean, unless you're working for clients, of course, you have to make your client happy. But most people who post on Instagram that are um, obvious photographers, street photographers, all they need to please is themselves. So often I see uh, when I when I critique uh, some work and and I'll see something really, really special, but the students will tr almost try to hide it from me. And I was like, wait, 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 this is so cool. Why are you showing me this? I'm like, well, it's out of focus and this and that. I'm like, but the emotion, I just, I see this picture and I just want to cry, not because it's bad. I want to cry because <laughs> there is so much emotion. And they knew it was good because they didn't get rid of it. They didn't throw it out, but they were too afraid mm -hmm. of the criticism of their peers telling them, well, that's out of focus. Who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, I'd rather have an emotion and an out of focus picture than a tack sharp picture of something boring. And I see those all the time. So just let uh you have to shoot with your heart you have to let your heart speak through your photograph and um and anything technically perfect is going to make for a pretty boring body of work there i said another thing that people are probably gonna <laughs> did you hear that everybody <laughs> <laughs> i want to explore a little bit your approach. And, and obviously I love the idea that your mood is going to help dictate your style mm -hmm. for the day or your maybe even your subject matter for the day. I think that's something I, I tend to force not, not respond to. And so that's mm -hmm. a, a lesson I could learn. But 
One of the things I know about myself as a street photographer is that I'm really drawn to architecture. I'm drawn to scenes, and then I want the people to come and populate the scene. Mm -hmm. And so I'll park, I'll camp in a certain spot. I'll find my composition, and then I wait for the actors to show up on the stage. And sometimes I wait a long time, and I just go, well, that was stupid. Now it's an architecture Mm -hmm. shot, and I'm going to move on. Or sometimes it's perfect. So a case in point, uh, in Copenhagen when I was there a few years ago, I found these two streets that came together in front of a really cool apartment building. And there was a little triangular shaped park in front of it that had a statue and a fence. And it had all these bikes chained to the fence. It was just a perfect kind of Copenhagen scene, right? I said, all it needs is somebody riding by on a bike. And so I stood in the right spot, had my camera at chest level. So I wasn't looking too, you know, creepy. And I waited and sure enough, here comes a gentleman who's pedaled by on his bike and I snapped a few shots. I'm like, eh, that's not what I wanted. And Pretty soon here comes a lovely lady with a red dress and a red bicycle and everything was straight out of central casting. And I got this shot that I really, really love. It's one of my favorite shots, but it was definitely preconceived. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, I want this shot. I'm going to wait for it. There's that approach, but do you take that approach or do you just find people that are interesting and wait until they find, they wander Um, into a good spot? (laughs) This is what we call the, the fisherman approach versus okay. the hunter and uh, and i i do i if i see a nice shaft of light um yeah i will wait the key first of all is to not settle usually you're going to lose the light something's going to mm-hmm. before the right subject goes by and that's okay what you need to refrain from doing is settle like oh well mm-hmm. i'm out of time oh there is someone that will do no, you just ruined a perfectly good light with a boring subject. <laughs> or you just ruined a perfectly great architecture with a boring subject. So it's better not to have the shot and maybe come back or leave it as is, as an architectural shot without a person, okay. than settling for a boring subject that is going to ruin the beautiful backdrop or the beautiful light. So I think um, street photographers, and I say it all the time, I can say that because I teach to hundreds of people every year <laughs> on the street, street photographers tend to settle too quickly. It's, mm. it's a game of patience. Uh, whether you're walking the streets or you're sitting at a place and waiting for something to develop, it's you have to you have to be um you cannot settle it's about setting a bar and not settling for less and um and and that's how your work is going to improve basically is you always look for something better always look for something better that's why it never gets boring i mean the Mm -hmm. day that you feel as a street photographer that oh i think i've reached my my best then that would be a terrible day because it would be very sad. Um, it's always more exciting. I'm, I'm more excited every day and I can be on the street for 12 hours with my camera and every day is better than the day before. So you always look for something different. You look for that emotion. You look for humor. There's another exercise that is extremely difficult. Humor on the street has to be subtle. Can't be mm-hmm. very funny. It's going to be subtle. There's, Funny, ridiculous things are easy to capture, but subtle humor, it's much more difficult. Well, that's a really big challenge. So there is always something you can work on. And yeah, that's why it never gets boring. And it's also why it becomes so addicting. I always warn people on their first workshop with me, and they usually come again and again, but (laughs) on their first workshops, like, beware, this could get addicting. But what better 
thing to be addicted to. I mean, you you learn to appreciate the beauty of everyday life. And boy, do we need that right now. And mm-hmm. <laughs> when everything is so gloomy. So you learn to appreciate the, those really special moments. It also keeps you in the moment. There's nothing like photography to keep you in the moment, which is really healthy. And you'll never be bored. You could be waiting at the train station or at the airport. You have your camera. You're going to work on silhouettes at the airport because it's a great place for silhouettes with all those big windows. So you can do this anywhere. You'll never be bored again. Unless yeah. you forget your camera, but then you have your phone, so you can always never <laughs> forget your camera, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Do you find yourself when you go out? It, maybe this has to do with the location. Do you find yourself going out with ideas of what you want to capture, or are you just a blank slate and let's see what happens? I follow the light, or I follow the mood. Um, remember that if you actually have a picture in your mind, it's usually because you've seen it before. And then it's not yours. Mm-hmm. It's somebody else's. So that's why it's so important to really go empty and let the street, the light guide you. Uh, you will find something. For some people, they have to listen to certain music or they have to get into the, the zone. It takes can take a few hours to get in the zone. Or you have to start working on one of your projects to get the the creative juices flowing uh whatever it is but if you yeah if you go out thinking oh i'm gonna get a picture of a little kid on the back of a bicycle with a baguette well you know chances are that's a famous picture that you've seen somewhere that you're trying to replicate there's nothing wrong with that it can be fun but it's not your own vision at that point. That's why I always tell um, my students, you know, workshop etiquette when they are, when obviously when you're on a street photography workshop, we go from point A to point B as a group. And then I give them an hour or 90 minutes where they spread out. And that's when I usually can work one-on-one with them as I walk from one to another. So they have like a perimeter of several blocks and and mm-hmm. I give them tips, techniques. Okay, you're going to work on this. Maybe you're going to try this. And so they go one on one, sometimes two by two, but you never want to go next to someone who just saw something because it's their shot. It's not yours. Mm-hmm. They saw yeah. it. You're just you're just stealing their shot at that moment. And no photographer wants that. So that's <laughs> one thing on a workshop is like respect each other's shot. It's their vi- it was their vision. Um they can always I always offer mine. I always say, hey, look at this. There's a really great silhouette. Come on, we'll follow it. And then I give them the shot, but not among each other um, because no one wants to get somebody else's shot. Yeah. Well, that's something that that we've run into teach our own workshops where even on a landscape, you can have, you know, five or six people standing next to each other or sort of working in the same area. And I am always surprised at how different a lot of the shots are. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. you have a few that's like the wide expanse. But, um, you know, there, there's one woman who does a lot of workshops with us and – she always reminds me to like look down and look close and you know I'll, I'll be like all right here are the clouds here comes the sun here comes the light and I'm already I've got my tripod you know and I look over and she's just kind of puttering off to the side and part of me is like oh she's going to miss it and then later on I'm like oh she has the best no, no, pictures <laughs> I'm the one who missed it because she she found like all these interesting things and yeah. so I'd be I the would one imagine, looking behind you <laughs> <laughs> I, I would imagine a street photography workshop, everything is going to be different. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. That's got to be um, great. And and because they cannot stay as a pack, obviously you can't do street photography as a pack. <laughs> uh, so if they're really shy, they'll go two by two to start, and then they'll soon realize that yeah, they need to uh, to work on a technique on their own. Sometime if we if we're practicing like a panning technique, I'll have them all lined up on a really nice busy bicycles uh, or by bi- a lot of bicyclists on the street just to practice the technique, so I can go from mm-hmm. one to the other. But then mm-hmm. once they get the technique technique down. It's like, okay, I don't want you all to have this picture of the same bicyclist. So uh, this was practice. Now you're going to get your own because that's, that's the beauty of it. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have your own and, and that's why you were talking about um, travel photography. That's why travel photography without the street photography component can be really boring, right? If you don't want p- people in your pictures, then you're missing the whole point of travel, which are people, right? <laughs> and then, if you want a truly iconic photograph of any landmark, whether it's the Eiffel Tower or uh, the anything, everything has been done. But the minute you incorporate the human element in a tasteful way, you have your own iconic picture of a landmark that nobody has and nobody will ever have. And so in your travel photography, if you are a skilled street photographer and you incorporate that in your travel photography, you're going to have really amazing photographs. So that's a big component of my my longer workshop is really visual storytelling. So as of travel photography, but outside the postcard, which was another book I wrote. Like seeing outside the postcard because who wants to bring postcard shots back home? You might as well just buy them at the at the airport on your way out and uh, enjoy your vacation, right? So you want to have your own vision of a place and they're not going to look like postcards. I mean, that would be pretty boring, I think. Yeah, I think um, one of the traps that people fall into when they're traveling, especially if they're traveling afar, is this FOMO. You know, I've got to get, I've got mm-hmm. to see the sites. I've got mm-hmm. to see the Eiffel Tower. I've got to go to the Arctic Triumph. I've got to go to the Louvre, right? I mean, if I went to Paris, there's probably 20 places I can think of right off the top of my head that I've got to see because when am I going to get back here? Mm-hmm. But as a street photographer, as a documentarian, um, and I think this applies to people who take cityscapes or landscapes or anything, is people make photos stronger. And I tell this to people when I'm teaching landscapes, even if you can get a a person to come into your shot, if they wander in, don't be the landscape photographer's like, ah, it ruined the shot. Like, no, that you just, (laughs) we're so egocentric as a a species that Mm -hmm. including a person, even if they're tiny (laughs) in the shot, it gives it a a bunch more interestingness, right? That's right. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, adding and really visiting a place, it's all about the culture and what is the culture is the people. So mm-hmm. um, having photographed from your travels that don't have locals in them, I, I don't know. I, to me, that would be <laughs> like there would be no soul in the photograph. So You just said something that triggered something in me because um, I've never been to Cuba. I've had mm-hmm. a lot of my students have taken photos in Cuba. I've seen obviously millions of photos online. From Cuba, and I can tell you that there's a lot of locals in Cuba who show up in a lot of the same photos, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so because almost, they, they're, they're, they're yeah. almost like landmarks, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I that, I have been to Cuba, and I didn't photograph any of those people. I didn't even photograph an old car unless there was oh. uh, no, unless it was out of focus in the background, but there was a really cute little dog in the front, and that was the main subject, or or someone walking by. Um, you fall into the cliche picture, and then yes, if you go to 
a, a lot of countries, Cuba included, there there is the spots where all the tourists go that have that old lady that smokes that cigar and everybody has a picture of her. And it's like, no, <laughs> you have to get lost on purpose. And mm. and Cuba, Havana is a wonderful place to do that because it is so safe. I literally walked into little like repair shops and and photograph locals. I I spent most of my time in old Havana. I didn't spend any time in the touristy area. Uh, I stayed in a casa with with locals and um I stayed away from the tourists. I never went down a street where I saw tourists because then you're missing the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. like why bring back photos that everybody else has so and that is not what cuba is either mm-hmm. so yeah just what i want i want iconic pictures of paris filled with americans <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you go the opposite of where the tourists go and so when people come to paris for the first time um they usually have their preconceived pictures you know idea of what paris is i can guarantee you after they leave a street photography workshop and usually on their long workshop the goal is to put together a a photo book of their paris what paris means to them Mm -hmm. um no one is going to have the eiffel tower as a cover they usually will have you know maybe the local that they saw every morning buying the newspaper walking his dog with things like that it becomes it's all about the human aspect of things it's not about the buildings and so there will be a mix of things but it's more about people definitely and people who've been to a city many 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 times and then come out of street photography workshop will never see it the same way and Mm -hmm. it's like they open their eyes for the first time because when you teach a workshop you have people coming from all over the world to come to meet you at that location well often you'll have like i was just teaching in copenhagen and i had two Danes on that workshop. I teach in Paris next month. I have a couple French, a couple Parisians in the workshop. So not only you're not giving them Paris because they already live there. So you have to show them their, their city in a completely different way. That's going to change their life. And the grass is always greener, right? When you live in Paris, you probably want to photograph New York and vice versa because you don't see anything interesting in your own city. Yeah. Uh, But people should never forget that their city, small or large is a vacation destination for someone else and mm-hmm. and you should always do your best work at home because you know the people you know the culture you know the light you can come back so as a street photographer you have no excuse not to photograph in your own city but a lot of people just photograph when they go on vacation mm-hmm. and then they don't really improve because you need to do this a lot a lot mm-hmm. to get better yeah. well, and when you're at home to come back to this point mm-hmm. there's not the pressure you know, it's, right. you will, you will come back. It's not mm-hmm. the only time you're going to get this yeah. opportunity. Yeah. I, I want to wander off into gear a little bit. I know you're not a gear geek, but <laughs> gear is important for street photography. Um, yeah. We can do this with our phones, but uh, it does, it does help to have something with a little bit more um, you know, creative control, if you will. Mm-hmm. I know that you are a, a Fuji X photographer and that you prefer the X100, even though they've given you other cameras and you've bought other cameras. I, I've listened to your podcast many times mm-hmm. and you're like, I always come back to the same camera. Yep. That's all I have uh, actually right now. So. Is that all you have right now? Jeff's oh, wow. got one. I used to have one. I, there is, is a, those are very special, mm-hmm. very unique cameras. Can you talk to us a little bit about what gear means to you? To me, the good camera is the one you'll forget. And 
and that is why I haven't changed camera in what eight years, nine years. When did the X one hundred first came out? I mean, yeah. I've had different um, versions of it, but it's always it always feels the same in my hand, right? Um, because it has become an extension of me, and I don't think of it. That's why I never beta test gear for Fujifilm unless it's that one, which I did for the X100V and I was actually at the release in London um, February 2020. Um, but um, that is my camera. And so trying new gear, I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And I could try <laughs> anything I want, but it's counterproductive to your creativity because you have to it, it's like you have to make your first steps all over again and learn mm-hmm. Uh, the gear and, and I don't care. I don't care about the camera. I don't care what it says on it. I just want it to be in my hand and I know, uh, I can control it without thinking. And for, so for me, having dials and buttons is great. I don't like going into menus during the day. And honestly, I, yeah, the, the good camera is the one you forget you have. Well, whatever it is. And it's different for everyone. Not mm-hmm. everyone wants the limitations of, shooting at one focal length without the ability to change lens. Uh, for me, it's perfect. I mean, I absolutely adore the limitations and the film simulations too. Yeah, Jeff is new to the X100 uh, camp and he's, I think, I don't know. I think it's grown on you, right? Oh yeah, totally. I you know sort of broke out of my own little box by taking it to uh, a trip to New York. New York and Washington, D.C., uh, my wife and I went and, you know, I was like, okay, this is just going to be a vacation. So I'm not going to bring my X-T3 and three lenses and try, you know, like all of that. And uh, it was great. I have a hard time just having the one wide focal length, I think just because I've shot so long with with various focal lengths. So that's that's an ongoing challenge for me. But, uh, you know. Ongoing challenges are great. <laughs> that's, yeah, absolutely. And there is a lot of power in the, the do in it. limitations too. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I still like my Sony with my 50 on it. <laughs> <laughs> but again, uh, my, my workshops are not um, – I, I have nothing to do with Fujifilm. And I have people with Leica, Sony's, Olympus, Fuji's on mm-hmm. every workshop. Yeah. And I really don't care. Some people will bring a brand new Leica that they haven't mastered yet. And then they end up spending the whole workshop with their phone because they realize like, well, that was dumb. You know, mm-hmm. I'm so, so focused on settings that I don't see what's happening. I said, okay, yeah, switch to the phone. At least yeah. you'll learn to see. So it's really about forgetting you the cameras there <laughs> mm-hmm. and letting it do a lot of the work. And so, and trusting it too. It's like a good think- friend. Yeah. I think that's a great update to the to the old saying that the best camera is the one that you've forgotten that you have instead of the, the best <laughs> right. camera is the one that you have with you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just because everybody does have, have, have the cameras. And there's no bad camera. I mean, really, it's like there's no bad light. There is no bad camera. It's just mm-hmm. it has to fit you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, find one that fits you. And and if if. People always ask, well, should I get this? Should I get that? Or I want to get a Leica. I'm like, you know what? If you have the money and that little red dot makes you want to go out more, yeah, maybe then (laughs) you will become a better photographer. The only way you will become better is if you go out more. So if the camera Mm. helps you do that because you feel so good about that really sexy camera, you're going to take it out every day, then by all means, get it. Do it. Because that's how you'll get become better, not by having it sit on your desk. So, yeah. That's a great point. 
you know, we talked about this in a recent episode that, yeah, for me, gear, part of the enjoyment of photography is geeking out about gear a little bit. <laughs> and it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. We don't have to be, we don't all have to bang around with the, you know, the Pentax K1000 we had when we were 16. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and if, if everybody was like me, man, the, the, the whole industry would collapse. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad there are a lot of gear geeks out there because uh, that's why we have better cameras. So mm -hmm. it's good. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. All right, Valerie, what is up next for you? You're very busy with um, workshops, so. Yes, uh, fall is always busy, although it seems like this year, because I had to stop for a year and a half, you know, during the thick of the pandemic. When I started again last year, it's like, oh, <laughs> it felt so good. I felt alive again. It was like my oxygen. So um, <laughs> I just got back from Copenhagen. Uh, next week, I'm heading for the Normandy workshop, which is hmm. my uh, only all-inclusive workshop, but that's really a special, special workshop because Normandy is where I was born. Um, mm. And um, my my small group is uh, picked up in Paris with a chauffeur, brought to a five-star luxury beachfront hotel for a week, and um, and we go on photo adventures. It's more, it's it's about visual storytelling. So it's, of course mm -hmm. there is a, a big street photography component, but it's much more than that. It's really wow. a travel photography workshop, and it's a week of, and then they get brought back to Paris. So it's like the worry-free, full luxury, all-inclusive. Uh, not all inclusive because of course they have some some dinners on their own who wants to sure. be with the same people every night for dinner, but, uh so and and it's home it's really a multi generation from normandy i mean as far as you can go in the in the 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 uh family tree from normandy so it's really special to me not to share wow. only the beauty of the region and the the culture but all the family stories, you know, that I've collected along the way. So that's my once a year, uh, special one week in Normandy workshop. Then I'm back in the States for two, three weeks, then back to Paris for the October Paris workshop. So, and 2023 is already on the schedule and, and filling up. Um, and it starts in January in Paris because I love January in Paris. Now, if you want authenticity in a, in the most visited country, uh, the most visited city in the world, if you want really authenticity, it's January. People, uh, people look beautiful. They have the, their long coats, the hats. So you have really beautiful subject. The light is very special and you have very few tourists. And so if you can take a little bit of, uh, dampness and it's really um it's one of my favorite times to go so oh yeah yeah i mean before i really became a photographer my wife and i took a trip to the uk in i think it was march you know <laughs> not a good which, time to be in the uk if you like not a good weather. time <laughs> not a good time there we were had only been married for a couple of years uh, it was super inexpensive because it was off season mm -hmm. and yeah. the lodging was really inexpensive and it turned out just you know, for the heavens were grateful to us for some reason because I think we only had rain maybe two days of of the entire trip, but it was wonderful because there were so few people. Everybody there was just happy to see you because mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, the bed and breakfast would not be you know filled up. <laughs> um, and so, so just yeah. getting away from those really popular July August mm -hmm. travel, even though sometimes it's the most convenient. The the trip that we took 
we didn't really have a whole lot of choice because we went with some people who had already uh, had, had planned for this trip. And so, you know, Ju- July and August uh, in, in Rome, or yeah. sorry, in June and July, it, it was 105 degrees in Rome and not, yeah. not my first choice. But at the same time, I was in Rome, so that yeah. was okay, you know. <laughs> Exactly. But yeah, yeah, so I I encourage people to try things that are a little bit different than what they thought. You know, I mean, Paris in the spring is amazing, but if you can handle a little bit of weather, you know, it's it's very authentic in January. So yeah, I recommend it. I'm also looking on your your website, and we'll put a link to your workshop page in our show notes, but you've got... um, some domestic, some U.S.-based workshops next year. You've got New York City in April and Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, your other hometown, in yep. uh, in June. But you've got one that's really interesting. And in, in going back to to Paris, which is a, another one of your homes, yep. <laughs> right? uh, you've got a workshop called See Paris with Your Heart. Yep. Tell me and more about that. that's not street photography at all. But I find that a lot of street photographers are drawn to that. So it's more, it's contemplative photography. So, and I call it see with your heart because, um, that's what it is. It's letting go of every, everything you've learned and really making photographs that will resonate with you. I mean, mm-hmm. reacting to, to reflections in windows and things like that, that will, um, or colors, whatever it is. So it is a new workshop. I taught it in, uh, in Paris and Rome this year. And people can can do that only or do the street photography workshop right after or right before, mm-hmm. I don't remember. But um, I was surprised because I thought it would be a different audience. And I think it all started because I taught this class online during the pandemic when people were stuck. Mm. And I wanted to open people's eyes to contemplative type of photography and uh, to s- start seeing even their homes differently and be able to play with our cameras in a limited in a limited space mm-hmm. and so that was so successful and then i wrote an ebook about that and then i thought well i'm going to i'm going to try to teach a class which is really it's not an easy class to teach because that's going to mean something different to everyone so it's really about helping photographers find what it means for them and what resonates with them but it was really successful this year and i can't wait to do it again um and street photographers who took it and i didn't think street photographers would do that but they'd been on my street photography workshop and said oh i'm gonna try that i actually said wow on the street now i i work faster and I see better mm. because I took that other class and now I can play with reflections because I played with reflection with inanimate objects. Now I can play with reflection, including the human element, but I can do it quicker because I learned mm-hmm. how to use that. So, uh, so that's been kind of fun. So I, I'm, I'm excited about that. And I, I'll probably add another one next year. I'm actually going to try to fit, uh, another Copenhagen class and it will be a hybrid street followed by um, see Copenhagen with your heart because if there is one place that's special where you can capture a feeling with photographs mm-hmm. that would be Copenhagen so I'm I'm trying to fit it next year if I can't then it will be the year after how many people are in these workshops 10 people yeah. just 10 people so you mentioned you know most of the time on their street photography workshops you're kind of giving them some guidance and then sending them out to practice well I always go with them I'm always on the street. I'm on always, always on the street with them, but they don't shoot in a group. 
they right. You're not leaning over their shoulder all the time, are you? No, no, "Hmm." because you you can't. I, (laughs) I, um, when they're in a neighborhood, like I, we'll go from point A to point B together. Then they spread out for an hour, an hour and a half. Usually, we regroup after an hour and say if they need more time, then we add more time, and then we move on to the next point of interest, and then rinse and repeat. Right. Mm -hmm. And during that time, when they're all working on different things that they're looking for or that they just learn they apply a new technique, then that's when I get to work with them individually. And that's when I, so they, they're kind of spread out our neighborhood. And if you look at my Google map, I'm like this. <laughs> I usually <laughs> miles because I, I kind of check on everyone or mm-hmm. sometimes I'll look from a distance. Like, okay, well, they're, yeah, they're trying to get a silhouette, but they're standing straight when they should get it from a low angle to get more sky behind the silhouette. Sure. So then I'll go and interfere and say, okay, here, get, do, get down like this and then you'll have a stronger shot. So that's when I do that the individual time yeah so it's fun but i'm always there taking pictures so so i always have a usually a lot of witnesses when i take some of my shots workshops because usually with uh with participants yeah so valerie jardin workshop is not i'm going to take you to paris get you some coffee and cut you loose (laughs) um it's you do a lot of instruction you do a lot of mentoring it's all on the streets uh and then we have critique sessions of course in classroom but but yeah, they're on the streets every day and I'm on the streets with them. That's and even after hours, we usually hang out and I can't help myself. I still have to teach sure. over dinner and yeah. <laughs> and they keep shooting because the camera can never be in the bag. Actually, I don't even want a bag. No cam- yeah. no, no bag, no, la- no uh, Lance cap there. <laughs> Just extra batteries. <laughs> Nothing to hold you back. And good shoes. <laughs> I see something else on your website that is, falls right into line with, with your workshops and that is a, an online mentorship. Um, Mm -hmm. over the winter. And I think that's really interesting. You're obviously a gifted educator and anybody who's read your books or listened to your podcast or gone on one of your workshops knows that you have a passion for teaching. Tell me about uh, this mentorship program. What would, if people have come on your workshops, is this an an extension of that? It could be, or it could be for people who will never go on a workshop. Not everybody can. And uh, so I, that's why I write books because I want everybody, I want to share as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's why I did podcasting uh, it was to share my love for for photography um so i'm working on it right now it's going to be probably a very small group of people maybe 10 or 12 and okay. uh, we will have a a class and then they, it'll be like the amazing race they'll have a class on one technique and then they're going to go out for a week and work on that technique and then then we regroup on zoom and do a critique and then like do another technique and that so kind of um an extension of my book in a way Mm -hmm. um but with with critique which is the important part of any um education so um so i'm thinking it's going to be a small but very personal and uh, i'm working on it right now but it won't start probably until november when i slow down a little bit okay yeah that sounds wonderful we'll also include a link to that page okay. um, in mm-hmm. the show notes, because that's a very special opportunity, I think, for people who want to deepen their skill sets. One of the things that I really enjoyed about workshops uh, is that time you get to spend and build those relationships, oh. but then it ends. 
Yeah, the camaraderie, and then there are tears yeah. at the end. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. But then people come again together. They meet on a mm -hmm. workshop, and they come to a different destination together. So friendships develop. Oh, that's mm -hmm. beautiful. I mean, I've, sometimes yeah, I feel, sometimes I have a 100% repeat in a workshop. So I'm, I feel like I'm going on vacation with 10 friends because yeah. they've been on other workshops before. And that's so much fun. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I don't even understand why, you know, I would not want to spend the whole day on the street with them. It's like, that's the reason why I'm doing this is to be out on the street and, and share in the field. So, or on the Wonderful. street, not the field, but. Well, I'm I'm very interested in that Copenhagen. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> a couple of workshops together would be nice. You know, make yeah, that, make that package. But I have to see if I can squeeze in there with all your old friends. You know, <laughs> I know sometimes I've had workshops sell in an hour after the. Uh, it's like a. It's like sometimes yeah, I feel like fun. I'm a a rock band. Uh, you know, once you're a concert ticket. I one one time a workshop the Normandy workshop that I had not uh, offered for two three years. When I announced that I was coming back, it always sells from the newsletter. Yeah. I usually online, if there's one spot that comes open, then I put it online. But And I remember because it's the, the first registration came. I don't even think they had the time to look at the price. It came like I had barely pressed the button, like <laughs> sent the newsletter, the first registration. And then within an hour, it was sold out. And then mm -hmm. I felt really bad because the Australians were still sleeping and they never oh. had a chance. Oh, and I no. usually have Australians <laughs> on my workshop that I felt so bad. So now I tried to uh, give a little bit of warning, but it doesn't fill as quickly because of the pandemic. So, mm -hmm. um, but some of them were filled like very quickly a year in advance. But I find that there are a lot more last minute cancellations also because of the pandemic and people are used to, oh, I can cancel anytime. So mm -hmm. a waiting list is always a good idea. Sometimes you have to go okay. down 10 people on a waiting list to fill a spot because oh, wow. you know people made other plans and then they can't do it. So yeah, waiting lists really work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good tip then, because I noticed a lot of your workshops have waiting lists right yeah. now. So people, if you're interested in these, get jump on that wait list. Uh, <laughs> take that chance. Roll yeah. the dice. See what you get. Yeah. Well, Valerie, this has been so wonderful. I'm inspired to get out to the in my own town. I'm inspired to travel some more. It's exactly the kick in the pants I needed to get out and take some people photos uh, and not just fall back to my old habits of... Uh, landscapes and architecture <laughs> well i yeah. think you I, I don't think you should actually just do one thing i think if you have a good photographer you should be able to take pictures of everything and make compelling photographs but whatever makes you happy really yeah. and uh so and and there are people who hate street photography and why would they want to do it if they hate it i mean really it comes down to does it make you happy or it doesn't and that's that so yeah yeah but that actually leads me to one. I'm going to sneak one more question. <laughs> I could be here all day because I could talk forever. I know. I, I we we could too. We could. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm an extrovert. Okay. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, actually, to the point where I'll have I'll see someone and I'll start a conversation, thinking, oh, "Yeah, I'm going to probably do a, a street portrait after." And then I'm in the conversation, and we've shared our life stories, and we parted ways, and I completely forgot that the original plan to was get the to picture. get the picture. So, <laughs> yeah, I I talk with strangers all the time. My kids used That's to think, "Oh no, there she oh, goes no. again." Oh no! But um, but then now they learn that you know, but they've traveled all over the world, and and they tell me now that they're adults that the most memorable vacations 
or moments of vacations were always the interactions with the locals. Mm -hmm. And uh, that may not have happened if I have hadn't been a photographer. So um, like they, uh, they realize how valuable that experience was at the time. So yeah. Camera does is a bridge to Mm -hmm. people for sure. Well, thank you. Thanks for indulging me. I, I'm kind of in between introvert and extrovert. I can go either way. And so for me, it, it it's not necessarily draining to go out and meet people and, and hang out with them, but it, you know, it can be. <laughs> I, I have a lot of introvert. Um, there are a lot of introvert street photographers, actually. I always have about half and half on workshops, surprisingly. So, yeah. I don't, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I find it a great way to experience the world the camera can camera is a bridge but it can also be a nice little wall yeah exactly yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah and when you are a street photographer you're usually alone on the street so yeah when you practice so yeah there is much to That's say great. about that yeah nice well thank you so much valerie we we're going to have uh, links to all of your books and workshops and goodies on our show notes page uh, and you can obviously go find you at valleyjardinphotography.com and we appreciate you so much taking the time i know you're very busy and in between trips and hopefully we'll be able to reconnect again some other time maybe over in europe maybe in Copenhagen. sounds sounds good or in paris paris is always a good idea right <laughs> if we have to i suppose i suppose <laughs> i heard there's good coffee there it seems like a nice town <laughs> Thank you, guys. It was really fun. Thank Thank you so much. much.